Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I'm continuing on the series that I've been speaking on for the past few weeks, The Call to Repentance. Um, I want to just spend a few minutes, five, maybe ten minutes, just recapping on something so that, so that we continue with the flow. This series was started by a message that Pastor Andreas ministered just before he left, in which he shared with us a dream that he had of a large gathering of believers that came together. There were various expressions of worship in this place. But as he looked at this gathering, his heart, he began to pick up that the heart of the Lord was grieved concerning this gathering. And he asked the Lord, why is your heart grieved? And he said, you know, the answer that the Lord gave him was, it doesn't matter how big your meetings are, how loud and great your songs are, how deep and wonderful and, and your, your, your prayers and your supplications are, if they don't come from a heart that is broken and contrite, they are meaningless. The essence of the dream is that God's people, the church, in their various expressions in different ways, were going about their religious business, just going about their thing, but were completely oblivious to the heart of God concerning the state of the city, concerning the state of their loved ones, concerning the state of the church. Doing our stuff, but indifferent towards what was truly going on in the heart of God. And the call to repentance is very simply this, that God is calling His church... To, to, to draw near to Him and to catch what is on His heart in this time and this season. For us as a church, the corporate church, not just our little fellowship, but it includes us as a fellowship. It includes us as individuals. What is it that is on God's heart? What is grieving God's heart? What is breaking His heart concerning my attitude, my lifestyle, first and foremost, and then concerning my area of influence? Can I continue to just cast a blind eye to what I know is going on around me and, and, and say that I serve the God of love and say that I serve a God of compassion but have no expression thereof and, and no light emanating that that is the truth? Last week, I spoke about we, embracing the cross. And we began in, in Psalm 51, which is David's prayer of repentance, which Pastor Andreas broke down for us, and we read through that. But verse 6 really stood out for me. It says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. You see, it's the heart that God is after. He is wanting the truth. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus. He is wanting Jesus Christ to be formed in our inward parts that our pursuit and our joy would be Him and Him alone. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 4.19. He said, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. Now what does that mean? Well, we just have to look at the life of Christ, the way He lived. And we see that Christ's life is... If anything, it's not self-centered at all. He lived to do the Father's mission. Jesus was more concerned with catching the heart of His Father and our well-being than He was concerned with His own comfort, with His own pleasure, with His own well-being. That lifestyle led Jesus to the cross 
for you and for me. Jesus lived a life when he said things like this. At 12 years old, his mom confronts him as to saying, what are you doing? Why aren't you with us? At 12 years old, he has this revelation saying, I must be about my father's business. 12 years old. Sold out. The next 18 years of his life, he was subject to his mother and father. And then as he was leading his disciples, he said things like this, I only do what I see my father doing. Only. How much room does that leave for anything else? No room. I only say what I hear my father saying. How much room does that leave for his own opinion? None. So we see a life that is completely yielded to God, but we also see, as we look back, at the fruit of that life and what that life was able to accomplish or what God was able to accomplish through that life. And we know, folks, Christianity 101, that the only way for Christ, for that heart, that passion, that compassion, that love of God to be formed in us, there's only one way, and that is to embrace the cross. Our ways are never His ways. Our thoughts are not His thoughts. And in order to embrace His ways and in order to embrace His thoughts, we have to crucify our own. That's the message that God is giving us in this time and season. Last week we had Pastor John Skoltz with us. How many of you were blessed by his ministry? And didn't he make it really simple? He stood here before you guys and he says, you know, after all these years of serving God, it's been rough, he said. There have been tough times. It hasn't all been easy. But after all these years, after the highs and the lows, after the successes and the failures, after the victories and the, the, the deep disappointments, after every challenge, after all this time, I can say one thing. Here is the conclusion. It's all about Jesus. Amen? And when you have somebody who's lived a life like that and you see the influence and he comes back and he makes it all about the one very simple thing, you kind of realize that we've made it about a lot of other things. And we really overcomplicated this thing and forgotten that this Christianity journey, it's not about meetings, it's not about works, it's about Jesus. Tony Fitzgerald has this thing he often says, he says, I have come that you may have meetings and have them more abundantly. No, I've come that you may have life. What does that mean? Vital connection to the source from which everything flows. He went on to read Matthew 16 and verse 24 to 26 from the message, which says, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. I like that. <laughs> how, many, how many of you feel that Jesus is going to work on you right now? Praise God. That means he loves you. Amen? And he says, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade for your soul? You see, folks, the resurrection life of Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus came through what? In order for something to be resurrected, what does it need to do first? It has to die. And if you and I want to experience 
the promise of the fullness of that life that God talks about, that Jesus Christ talks about, that Paul talks about, the same process needs to be followed. Dying to self, that Christ may live, that he may have preeminence. You see, the measure to which we die to our own desires is the measure to which God, we can embrace and embody God's desires. And it's for this reason that we have, as a fellowship have called a time and a season for repentance, a time and a season for fasting. What does repentance mean? Remember I said to you last time that the word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoin, which means metamorphosis. It means a complete change. It means that that which was before doesn't resemble that anymore. It is completely different. I think the best understanding of repentance in my heart and mind is that, you know, people talk about turning. Repentance means that I need to change my pursuit. Change my pursuit. In other words, my mind, my thoughts, my affection, my attention is going in one way. And what repentance leads me to do is to turn from that and to go another way. I cannot go this way with my eyes there, with my affections there. They have to leave that and turn completely in order to go another way. Otherwise, my life will still look the same as that. And then metamorphosis hasn't taken place. So the key to repentance is the same as the key to holiness, is the same as the key to sanctification. It's letting go of something in order to lay hold of something else. I cannot lay hold of the other without letting go of the, of the former. Amen? And that is the key of repentance. Our hearts need to be caught up in the prevailing word that is coming from God's, God's heart and God's mouth. I think the thing that just strikes me the deepest concerning that that dream that Pastor Andreas had. As I imagine it in my own mind, what I see is people coming, and I believe they're there with sincere hearts, and they're lifting up sincere prayers, and they've completely missed the point. And I realize that that is me. That we get caught up in the stuff, we get caught up in, you know, you think just because I stand here or we stand as a worship team, you know how easy it is to just go through the motions? We choose a set, we sing the songs, we come here, I read some scriptures, say a few words, and we go home. Unchanged, untouched, no power of the Spirit. That's dry. I'm not saying that's what we do. I'm not saying that's what we strive for. But I'm saying you can get lost in the stuff. And every day we go up, even our quiet times can just be routine. We read our stuff. We haven't made that connection. We haven't... We haven't given God the response that He requires, the time that He needs to truly work, to truly speak, to truly catch His heart. You know, I want to tell you something. When you catch God's heart on something, your heart is so set on fire. Do you remember we read Isaiah, the, the, Isaiah chapter 6, where he comes into the presence of God? And what is his first response? As he sees the glory of God, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. And it's interesting to note that that change in his life is so incredible that when God says, who shall go for us, Isaiah says, I will go. God didn't say, Isaiah, will you go? He didn't say, I have anointed and called you to be a prophet. None of those things. We want that to be spoken out of us before somehow we take some initiative. But from that point of his brokenness and the cleansing that took place from the angel coming and taking a coal from the altar and cleansing his lips with it, 
and saying, you are now cleansed. God said, who will go? What was his heart's response? Nothing is too much, God. I will go. Where to? What? What do you want me to do? Do we love God so much? Have we, have we found an, an, that place of loving Jesus so much that we look at those around us who do not know him and our heart bleeds for them? We just want them to know what we know. If that's not the case, then we have lost something. And we are trying to give them something that we've even lost touch of, that we have even lost sight of. And so even our evangelism, even our sharing of the gospel becomes just another work, another thing, and we have completely missed the heart of God towards that person. They're just another number, another statistic for us to tick off our list, and I want four souls this year. Hallelujah. Where our hearts are moved with deep love and deep compassion. Why? Not because we love, but because God loves in us and because God loves through us. When we begin to catch the heart of God, we begin to see our own selfishness. And we begin to see how far we've fallen from that first love. And this is what God is talking to us about. I wasn't planning on going there, but let's go there anyways. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelations, or Revelation chapter 2. And this is what God writes to the church in Ephesus. Or Jesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2, verse 1, write, These things says he who holds the stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, God says. I know what you're doing. For some of us, that causes us to shudder. For some of us, that causes us to go, Oh, good. Which is just as bad. I know your works your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear with those who are evil and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Folks, this is a commendation of God. He is saying, you have done well. And I believe by and large, Jesus stands by and he looks at his church and he says, you have done well. You have done well to come together, the whole church in Mitchell's plan. You have done well to build your buildings and have your projects and have your ministries, to have your programs working and your outreaches. You have done well. That is good. It's a good start. But I have this one thing against you. You've lost sight of what it's all about. It says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. In other words, you've made it about the things, the programs, the outreaches, the gatherings the works, and you haven't made it about Jesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And there's that word again. How do I repent? In this case, he says, and do the first works. What are those first works? It means separate yourself from all the stuff. And that most important thing, first means priority. Put first things first. Set your priorities and your attentions aright. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Let's leave it there.
You see, folks, I believe that there is a prevailing word come, coming forth from God's mouth at any time and any season. God is speaking over you. God is speaking over your family, over our fellowship, over your business, over our city. God is talking. God has an opinion. God has stuff to say. How in tune are we with what God is saying? For many of us, our heart is caught up in other things. And this makes it very difficult for us to discern the voice of the Lord. How do we hear the voice of the Lord? How do we deal with the state where we cannot discern what God is truly saying to us? I believe Jeremiah gives us the answer. If you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 4. From verse 1, it says this, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord. Who is Israel? Israel is God's covenant people. Are you God's covenant man and woman? Amen. So we are God's covenant people, and God is saying to us, If you will return, says the Lord, return to me, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and, they, and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. What is he dealing with here? First of all, he's dealing with idolatry. He's dealing with things that come into our hearts and take preeminence over Jesus Christ. Things that are more important to us than the king and his kingdom. Anything that holds that level of affection in our heart is an idol. Things that we give ourselves to that we know are not right and that God is not pleased with. And he says, put these things away from you. He says, break up the fallow ground. I want to say this. The reason we struggle with the right response to God's call is because our hearts have grown hard and have grown fallow. The Word of God cannot enter in. You know the four kinds of soil, the foundational parable that Jesus told, the parable of the sower. For many of us, our hearts are so hard that the Word of God cannot even enter in. I know that generally they talk about unbelievers with that. Unbelievers, you know, they, they don't believe anything. The Word of God can't even penetrate. Some of us, even as believers, struggle with that. The Word of God is spoken to us. Prophecy is given to us. And we are so dull of hearing that we're indifferent. For some of us, there are strongholds in our hearts. The rocks. That although the Word of God wants to grow, our opinion on this particular matter or our way of doing things is so strong that we will not let God change. Us. For others... And I dare say for most of us, the plague and the pandemic, pandemic of our age is the fourth kind of soil. And for this, I'm talking about the church, where the Word enters in, and it begins to grow and to flourish. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in, and it chokes the Word of God, and it produces no fruit. We fail to weed out our hearts from that which chokes. We allow our affections to drift and we open up ourselves to influences that draw us away from God, away from His holiness and righteousness, away from the pursuits that our spirit man longs for 
and we wonder why there's no breakthrough, why there's no fruit. So Jeremiah talks about breaking up that fellow ground. And this is one of the reasons we are fasting. Fasting is one of the best ways for us to break up the hardness of our hearts, to break up that fellow ground. He says, do not sow among thorns. So until we've dealt with our hearts, (laughs) we can't really expect God to come and sow into our hearts and, and to speak. We need to be dealing with the attitude of our hearts so that when the word is spoken, it's not still choked up with with all our cares and all our things, but we have worked to separate ourselves from them that we can focus on what the Lord says. I like how the New Living Translation interprets the scripture, and I'll read it for you. It says, O Israel, says the Lord, if you wanted to return to me, you could. Believer, if you want to return to the Lord today, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done, you're not too far gone. Sometimes we feel, oh, I've really messed up. Sometimes we feel our hearts have grown so cold. Is there any way back? If you want the way back, the way is available. You could throw away your your detestable idols and stray away no more. Then when you swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, you could do so with truth, justice, and righteousness. Then you will be a blessing to the nations of the world, and all the people will come and praise my name. Do you see how this goes far beyond just you and me? Do you see how that when we begin to come into this place, the other things that God's heart is concerned about get dealt with and taken care of because they are drawn to that very light that God is shining through you? This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste your good seed among thorns. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, surrender your pride and your power. Give it up. Change your hearts before the Lord, or my anger will burn like an unquenchable fire because of all your sins. The prophet Hosea said a similar thing in Hosea 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteous in righteousness. Sow for yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains down righteousness. What does that mean? Sow seeds of righteousness. Do that which God is calling you to do. Reap in mercy. Break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. God is calling His people back. He desires to pour out His righteousness and justice through His people into the city, but His people are compromised in their hearts. We recently heard in the news about A double agent in the UK, a former Russian agent who switched over to the British side and his former country, apparently, they deny it. We don't know the truth. But we found him and his daughter poisoned, somewhere with a nerve toxin or something. An agent who is compromised, folks, serves his own interests. I want to say that again. An agent who is compromised serves his own interests. He claims to serve an interest there, and he claims to serve an interest there, but ultimately he serves his own interest. A double agent does what is expedient for himself. He's compromised. And the question that God is asking you and me today is, whose interests are you serving? Are you serving your interests, or are you serving my interests and the interests of my kingdom? What is most important to you, my glory or your glory? The blessing of what I came to do 
or the blessing of your life. 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, Paul says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. No one entangled in warfare. You know, I read something yesterday. I thought it was incredible. Have you... I've got to get this right. I may get this a little bit wrong, so forgive me, but it's a, it's a, it's a poignant analogy. There's a, I'm not sure where in the States it is. It's the tomb of the unknown soldier, the tomb of, what's it called, if anybody can help me? Tomb of the unknown soldier. And the guards that have to guard that have to make certain commitments that they will keep for the rest of their lives. They will, once they sign up for that training, they agree that for the rest of their lives, they will not drink alcohol. They have to promise that for the rest of their lives, they will not use foul or vulgar language in public in any way. They will be the height of an example. The, 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 the training that they have to go through, they have to go through five hours every single day where they are studying the lives of those whom they are sworn to protect. I think it was last year where they had such incredible snowstorms that the Department of Defense or whatever it may be called said to them, look, all right, so while the storm comes in, we don't expect you to patrol. And they, all of them said, no, 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 we have given our lives for this. This is our honor. This is our calling. We devote ourselves to this, not just now, but for life. They get a pin that they can wear on their suit. I think there's only 400 of these pins that have ever been given. And this, and this is since World War II that they get to wear. And if any way they, they fall from the standard that is set for them, they have to turn in that pin. They wear that pin with pride, and they wear it with honor because it means something. It means that they have devoted themselves and given their lives to something. Imagine we as believers lived and walked like that, knowing that we have given our lives for something. That we wear as the mark upon our chest, the cross, the, the love of Jesus Christ. That we have been willing to pay every single price and have made commitments that we commit and promise to keep until the day we die. That affects every sphere of our lives. Even the little things. Even the language we choose to use. Folks, I think we've become far too entangled with the cares of this world. Yes, there are many areas in life that need our attention. I don't deny that. We have families. We have work. We have jobs. I understand there's a lot of things around that require our attention. But if we fail to prioritize correctly, we'll end up serving the cares of this world rather than serving the Lord. The cares of this world will become our God and will dictate to us how we live, what we do, where we go, rather than Jesus Christ. I can't do this because of work. I can't do this because of that. No. We can either serve self-interest at the expense of God and others, or we can serve God and others at the expense of self, but we cannot do both. Amen? Awfully quiet here this morning. Let me read you another scripture from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 11. I'll read it from the Message Bible. It says this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day -day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious of God. How many of you can relate to that scripture? 
Paul is saying, don't. Don't let that happen. The night is about over. The dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. Do you hear the cry of the Spirit? There is a revival coming. There is a breaking forth in the Spirit. And God is realigning our hearts so that we are able to receive it and to flow in it. Listen to the word that has come out of Church of the Nations recently. We are in a time and a season of acceleration. God is working. And He's working faster than He has before. We need to wake up if we want to run with Him, lest we be left behind. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work He began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute, must not surrender these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Be awake. Be alert. Be sensitive to what it is that God and the Holy Spirit is saying. I think there's a reason that God exhorts us in Scripture again and again. Do not worry about tomorrow. Be anxious for nothing. Come to me, all you who are are weary and heavy laden. Seek first the kingdom, etc. And that is because when we focus on our cares, we end up serving our cares rather than serving the Lord. They become the Lord in our hearts. Our cares determine our pursuits, they determine our behaviors, our priorities, rather than allowing the will and the Word of God to do that for us. This is a season of change, folks. It's a season of growth. It's a season of increase. What does that mean? That means that if I want to experience this growth, if I want to experience this increase, I have got to change some things. Here's the truth. You have as much of God as what you want. No more, no less. You have as much of God and as much of His Holy Spirit as what you want. Because you've already determined that by your life. Here's the travesty, folks. We judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Let's look at the truth. Oh, God, I want to pursue you. How much time are you spending in my presence? No, but I want to pursue you. That desire is great. But if it doesn't work itself into anything, it means nothing. Amen? So how do we do this? The only way we can realign our hearts and get our hearts right with this is to starve ourselves of the things that made our hearts hard in the first place. That's the first step to repentance. Turning your back on something. You see, the current way I've been thinking, the current way I've been doing things has led me to the point where I am today. And so if I'm not happy with where I am today, then I've got to change something. I've got to start identifying what is it that is making my heart hard or cold or indifferent towards the things of God. Have I been giving too much time to my appetites? Have I been spending too much time in front of the TV? Have I been too indifferent towards the gathering of the saints and engaging in worship and engaging in prayer? So let me put aside the things that I know are an issue in the heart of God and that are preventing me from drawing near to God. We have to reprioritize. We need to starve our natural appetites and feed our spiritual appetites. And how do we do that? Through fasting and through prayer. Through fasting and through prayer. As much as taking communion as giving of tithes and of offerings are spiritual disciplines, so fasting 
is and ought to be a spiritual discipline in the life of every single believer. Amen? There's a lot out there today talking about how to fast. This kind of fast, the Daniel fast, this kind of, you know, all the different kinds of fasts. I think it's very interesting that when Daniel, they call it the Daniel fast, but Daniel wasn't actually fasting. He just chose a way of life. We choose that way of life, but thank God it's only for 21 days. Back to the bread. Thank you, Jesus. I heard somebody the other day saying this whole banting nonsense. Jesus came and said, pray every day for your daily bread. I want to say just a few things. Are you all still with me? I want to say just a few things concerning fasting. And I want to say this first of all. I am deliberately not calling a day for fasting in the church. I am far less concerned with the how than I am with the why. If you want to do a Daniel fast, if that works for you, by all means, do it and throw your heart into it. I have found for me, my most effective way of fasting is to separate myself. So if there's work, take leave. Thank God my job pays me to fast. (laughs) Separate yourself. And be quiet and alone with God. I've tried Daniel fast. I've tried fasting while in the office. And all I find is that I get hungry while doing work. You've got to separate yourself. And if that means, listen, I always find it very strange when you say to people, why don't you take some leave? You want me to waste my leave on fasting? Waste? You consider it a waste? You consider your personal time wasted in spending it with God? We've lost the plot. You laugh. It's true. Take some leave. Take some time off. Get alone with God. The first thing we need to realize about fasting, number one, is that fasting changes us, not God. Fasting is not a tool that we use to strong-arm God into getting our way. We come to God and we deny ourselves the things that we enjoy, the things that our flesh craves, Because it's those very things that we have been feeding that have numbed our ears to the voice of God. Starve them. Separate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Second thing I want to say is this. Fasting silences the voice of the flesh. This in turn helps us to turn into the voice of the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Fasting says, I want to shut up the ears of my flesh so that I can tune into the ears of heaven and I can hear what it is that God is saying. If you want to go read another scripture, we're not going to go into it now for the sake of time, but I encourage you, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Write that in your notes. And as you spend time fasting and praying this week, let that chapter guide you. It speaks about the voice of God, the Spirit of God connecting with your human spirit and making known to you the things that are on the heart and mind of God. The third thing I want to say about fasting is that fasting is vital in dealing with unbelief. Scripture reference, Matthew 17, 14 to 21. It's the account of when the disciples have been casting out demons. They've been doing these wonderful miracles, and a man comes to them with this epileptic son, and they can't cast the spirit of epilepsy out of the boy. And so very embarrassed, they come to Jesus and say, why were we, you know, we, we... your disciples were unable to cast this demon out. Jesus casts out the demon, and he says, oh, you have little faith. 
And later in the private, not in front of everybody, of course, in private, the disciples say to Jesus, why could we not cast out this, 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 this demon? And he says, because of your unbelief. For this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. Now, is he talking about that particular demon? No, he's talking about unbelief. You see, if, if, if I have to do works in order to, to, to cast out a demon, then it's me who's casting out that demon. The issue that they had was unbelief. That was obviously a powerful demon. They obviously needed a certain measure of faith that they did not have. But what is the point? It, the way to deal with their unbelief, Jesus said, is what? This kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. So if you are struggling with unbelief, struggling to trust God, you've become disillusioned, you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet, or you're not going to show how you're going to get by, or how the situation is going to turn out, get on your knees in your prayer closet, fast, and allow God to stir up the faith that you require for your situation. Whatever your mountain is, Jesus has the helicopter. Whatever your giant is, Jesus has the stone and the sling. But you, you got to figure out what that is. I want to say this. The issue is not the size of the demon or the giant facing us. The issue is the size of our faith. Are any of us excited about something that God is calling us to do? Really putting our faith out there, really on the edge, really you know, walking on water kind of stuff, God calling us out of the boat, you know, really believing God for something. And if God doesn't come through here, no, we're in trouble. Are any of us in that place? Are any of us serving a vision or a, an assignment from God where our faith is being stretched? Well, if not, then we know our hearts are growing cold. Because God is constantly calling us out of that boat. He's constantly calling us to reach out to that one and make ourselves completely vulnerable so that the power of His Spirit can move. I just want to pray for you for healing. Oh my goodness, I've said it. Now I have to pray for this man. Have you ever had that? I remember when I was going to ask Cristela if I could marry her daughter. She popped her head into my office. She said, goodbye. And I said, I'm Cristela. And she came in and said, yes. That was a terrifying moment. That was the point of no return. I now had to speak. And many of us have to take that step of faith. We have to say, I just want to pray for you that God would heal you. And have somebody look at you and go, what? And have that point of no return. Where we can exercise our faith and be out there. Is God burning on our hearts to do anything like that? To pray for the lost? To reach out and be Jesus to someone? Finally, the point I want to make. Fasting prepares us for new wine. It's interesting that every, in all three accounts of Jesus speaking about fasting of his disciples, there's three accounts where Jesus in, 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 the, in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the fasting of his disciples. The first account is in Matthew 9, there's an account in Mark 2, and there's one in Luke 5. That in all three occasions, the parable of the wineskins and the garments is attached to it. In other words, Jesus is talking about fasting, and he goes on to say, why do you, well, let, let's look at Luke 5's example here, and then we close off with this for, the, for today. Then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bride is, bridegroom is with them? 
But the days will come where the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them and said, No one puts a piece of new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Every time Jesus spoke about the fasting of his disciples, he equated it with this parable. What does that mean? Through the act of fasting, God is able to reform and change our hearts into new wineskins to receive something new. You see, there's things that God wants to give you, impart to you, promises He wants to make real to you, new levels of anointing and power He wants to work in and through you. But He knows that if He were to give them to you now, they would ruin you. Your wineskin is not able to receive them. The wine would be spilled. It would be wasted. And so what, we, what He's calling us into is a place of fasting that helps change our wineskin. What does a wineskin represent? It represents the status quo. What is normal? The normal way of doing things. What is comfortable? That's why it says the old is always better than the new because the old is comfortable. We like our ways, right? God is saying, no, I need you to stretch out and embrace my ways because there is new wine that I want to give you in this new season of acceleration. We can no longer carry on with our religious things, oblivious to how God feels about us and about those around us. This is a new season. God wants to deal with our wineskins. And this means, folks, that there is a response that He requires from us. There is a response that God is calling on. I want to say this to you. Our approach to fasting and our attitude in fasting quickly reveals to us the condition of our hearts towards God. Our, 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 our attitude towards fasting and our approach towards fasting reveals to us our attitude towards God. If this is too big a burden, if this is just a schlep, folks, that tells you what your attitude towards God is. But if you are willing to embrace the season and say, God, I hear you speaking. I want to respond. Would you come? I will set myself aside. I ask you to speak truth to me. I present you with my heart. Make it what you want it to be. And see what God will begin to say to you. Would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.